Good morning. It's great to see you again. Um, we're continuing today with our study in the I Ams of Jesus, that ancient term that God used to describe himself, the I Am. And then Jesus, uh, in his ministry, added to that term to give us a, a broader understanding of who he was and what he'd come to do. And today we've come to I am the true vine and you are the branches. Um, so we're going to read a passage and then we'll see what we think God is saying to us through it. So I'm going to read from John chapter 15, um, just a few verses, starting at verse 1. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch which does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you will bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Father, we just ask that you'd help us to understand what your word is saying. Thank you that you send your Holy Spirit to each of us to teach us and to open the scriptures to us. And we pray even as we're talking through these verses that you'd do just that. Ask Holy Spirit, come and fill each one of us as we hear these words. Amen. So we're around the table again with Jesus, and these are the, uh, the, the days leading up towards Jesus' crucifixion. It's the Last Supper. All the things that we talked about last time I was preaching um, are true here. Um, and John gives us a lot of detail about the conversation, the back and forth that was going on amongst those disciples. And Jesus is, is really teaching them. Um, and right now he's, he's, he's saying the words that we've just read. Um, he's saying, now, how should you think about yourselves and your relationship to God and to me? And he says, I'm, I'm a vine. It's like a, it's like a vine. And we, we need to have in our minds right now that picture of a, of a grapevine. And uh, we need to be thinking about that. That's, that's kind of the, the image that Jesus is, is summoning in those disciples' heads. Turns out, grapevines are pretty special. And so we need to know something about them if we're going to understand this. Um, so... What do we need to know? Well, they're ancient. Grapevines have been around since maybe six or 7,000 BC. They're very, very ancient. And they're really a sign of longevity and of place. And what do I mean by that? Well, it takes quite a few years to develop a really successful, fruitful vine. In other words, you have to be in the same place for quite a long time if you're gonna get good grapes and good wine. It doesn't happen in one season. And so if you manage to grow a vine, it means uh, something about prosperity, about peace, because you haven't had to uproot and move quickly, which you might have to do if there was no peace, and uh, you've been able to tend to the vine well. So there's, there's a lot of meaning behind what Jesus is saying that those disciples would have understood, and maybe we, we don't understand. Wine, of course, is what comes from, from, uh, from grapevines. That's the point of them in that, in that sense. Um, and, and grapes mostly, uh, you know, we, we define them by, or wine certainly, by the place and the age 
um, and the type of grape. And so, you know, modern connoisseurs can place a wine in terms of its place, in terms of its date, and in terms of the grape. Um, and they, they use these sort of variables. So they're, they're rich and deep and broad in terms of what the understanding of a grapevine was to them and is to us. And they're a sign also of God's blessing and something of, of the wealth that would go with that, and particularly in ancient times. So in Micah 4, we read this. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. No one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. That very uh, graphic image of what it means, sitting, sitting under your own vine. And the heat that we've had these last few weeks, it, what, a, what a blessing. You sit under your own vine. Uh, it's providing shade. There's the prospect of the fruit of that vine to come and all the joy that that's going to bring. It's a, a great sign that God is with his people. Um, so if you have a vineyard, of course, and we said this, you can make wine. And that was a great joy for people uh, throughout the ages, all those thousands of years. Um, and those hearers, those disciples, they, they would have had all this in their head as they were thinking about Jesus saying, oh, I'm, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Now, here's the thing. Caring for a vine is, uh, it requires particular skill. So a vine dresser has to understand a lot about how a vine works and then has to get pruning um, if it's going to be a fruitful vine. The vine you see, and there should be a picture of this, uh, has a main trunk to which is attached branches and tendrils. And those branches stretch out from the trunk. And you'll see from the picture there that, um, that the, the pruning of them is quite brutal. Um, we need to understand something about that if we can understand what Jesus is referring to here. Um, much of the kind of yearly growth has to be cut back before the next season if there's going to be the fruit or the potential fruit that this vine is going to produce. Um, and of course, when the fruit comes, that's when it gets really exciting uh, for, uh, for the vineyard, for everyone, really. Okay, let's get into these, these verses. So, so firstly, uh, we need to deal with uh, the branches that get thrown away. Um, it's somewhat alarming that in verse 2 and in verse 6, Jesus says this. He says this in verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And then again in verse 6. If you don't remain in me, then you're like a branch that is thrown away. And withers such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, I know how our minds work, and I know some of you, and I know myself, and some of you are thinking, that's it, that's me, that's, he's talking about me now, it's all over, I knew it, I knew that would happen. Now, listen, before that runaway thought train derails and takes out the station, let's just halt you there and uh, think about a couple of things that's gonna help us. Um, firstly, if you're worried like that about these verses, it's probably a sign that it's not you. <laughs> Let me explain what I mean. Over the years, um, just occasionally, you come across people in and around the church who very clearly um, are there for other reasons than to worship Jesus. It doesn't happen very often, but sometimes it does. Um, it's not clear why they're there, but it's very clear they don't really care either. And sometimes um, they, they have pretty shocking motives when you uh, get to the bottom of things. Um, uh, they don't care about a verse like this because they don't care about any verses. Um, and so that the fact that some of you are right now feeling the way you're feeling is a sign that unlike those people, your hearts are not hard, they're soft. 
And that soft-heartedness towards God is a real sign that the Holy Spirit's at work within you and that this isn't you. So that's the first thing. The second thing here is to do with the context of what Jesus is saying and when and where he's saying it. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples just before the cross. It's the Last Supper. That's the occasion. He's round the table. The bombshell that Jesus has just dropped is, one of you is going to betray me. That would have been ringing in their ears. Can you imagine this group of brothers, these friends, these, uh, these brothers in arms, as it were. They've, they've been together. They've walked together. They've followed Jesus together. One of you is going to betray me. My goodness. Could anything else dominate their thinking? And now Jesus is talking um, about all sorts of other things. But that's what's just happened. We know, of course, it, it's going to be Judas. They don't know who it is. Um, and, and it's quite likely, and it seems to make a lot of sense of this passage, that Jesus is specifically referring to Judas when he's talking about a branch that's going to be discarded and is going to be burnt. So that's the second thing we need to recognize. So I hope that's de that deals with those two verses and helps us not to get sidetracked uh, by them. So secondly, what is it like to be pruned? <laughs> because that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, you, you, you guys, you're fruitful vines. You're attached to the grapevine itself, which is me. But you need to be pruned if you're going to be as fruitful as you might be. So what's that like? And I think what we have here in this picture is, is both a, a divine kind of heads up and a supreme comfort. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the, the, the divine comfort is this. The vine dresser is the father. It's the Father, loving and kind. He knows us and he's chosen us to bear fruit. It's his design, it's his choice, it's his calling. It's, it's all about what he has done first. And he's demonstrated our love for us in a, in a demonstration of love which defines the love itself uh, for kind of all humanity and for all time. And he's gone beyond any love of any earthly father uh, throughout all history. And he's beckoning us home to be with, with, with him. Now listen, if he's the gardener, if he's the vine dresser, brothers and sisters, all is well. All is well if he is the gardener, if he's the vine dresser. And that's what the passage is telling us. My father, as it happens, used to be a landscape gardener. I am not one. <laughs> and he has helped us over the years in the different gardens we've had. Um, and on a number of occasions, uh, as he's kind of arrived at a new house we might have found ourselves in, he said to us, anything I can do for you in the garden? And we, Gerald and I, would look at each other and not have, a, honestly, a great deal of idea. And we kind of said to him, well, do whatever you think. <laughs> whatever you think would work, go ahead and do it. And because of his skill and because of his courage and foresight, whether it's to cut a tree or dig a border or, or build something, we trust him. And it, the results have been great every time. And even in the garden we have now, the, the same is true. The things that he did that we wouldn't have thought of that have made a huge difference, sometimes just little things. And so, listen, brothers and sisters, our heavenly father is the gardener. He's the vine dresser. We can be at peace. Now, what about the heads up? Well, the heads up is because being pruned can be confusing and it can be somewhat painful. God will cut away things, uh, things that we like, things that we might consider to be fundamental in, in terms of who we are. Sometimes he removes those things from us because of his skill, his foresight, his love, and his understanding. Um, 
So what might that be like? Well, sometimes it goes like this, doesn't it? Sometimes God says no to our requests. Sometimes we would ask for something and God says no. So it could be a relationship. So maybe someone says to me this, well, but I prayed for him for so long. I longed that that would be the relationship that became the relationship in my life. And uh, I prayed so hard. We could have been so good together. And God says no. And God has said no. And now that, now that person's with somebody else. Uh, sometimes it, and it's brutal and it can feel painful and, and difficult, and yet it's God at work. And I know many people who would say, I, I thank God that God said no. I'm so grateful that he refused my request in regard to relationships. Now, it could be something else. Maybe it's a removal of something that we really cherish. Maybe a necessary house move or, or job move means that you have to leave a home and a house that you have loved. And that's become a painful experience. And that's God pruning something away sometimes. Maybe it's the end of a a season of life, maybe a university course or or some kind of training where a a beloved friendship group that's been a great support comes to an abrupt end. And suddenly we're bereft of that support in our lives. And often that is God pruning things from us because he loves and cares for us. Now the writer to the Hebrews, he knew all about this. And he puts it in a slightly different way. But let's read what he says in Hebrews 12. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For children are not disciplined by the father. If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate not true sons and daughters at all. So hardship is often part of the pruning process. My goodness, we're experiencing a lot of that right now, a lot of hardship around, and that hardship we can see in all sorts of ways. We can frame it, we can tell ourselves all sorts of things about it. But here we're learning that it's part of the pruning process in God's supreme plan. And remember, it's him, it's the father, he's the gardener, he's the vine dresser. And so we can put our trust in him, even in the midst of difficulty and hardship. It's the loving father behind all of these things. So what about the fruit? What's it all for? What's the fruit that's being produced? Of course, that's the point of this passage. That's the point of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you're going to be really, really fruitful. I don't know if you remember back when the Israelites were entering Canaan and Part of the demonstration of just how fruitful this country was, was it took two adults to carry, two men to carry the the grapes that they, uh, that this country produced. And they would carry it on a pole, this huge bunch of bunches of grapes. It was incredibly fruitful. And I have that in mind when I, when I think of God wanting us to be fruitful, just so much fruit from our lives. But what is it? How does it, how's it going to work? Um, we need to think about this, you know, you know vines, they're not very pretty. The flowers are not gonna make it into anyone's wedding bouquet. Um, and, and the wood isn't good for much. It's not good for making anything. You don't build with it. Um, a vine exists to produce grapes. It exists for its fruit. That's what it's for. That's pretty much all it's really good for. And, but it is supremely good for that. Essentially, that's its purpose. And this picture that Jesus is using to to talk to his disciples helps them to understand that this is God's fruit coming out through us and through them, connected to the vine, the very life of God himself coursing through our veins 
and bringing fruitfulness. It's like an, an inevitable outcome of being part of God, being part of the vine, inevitably will produce godly and good fruit. Now, Jesus goes on in the passage to speak about the love the disciples would have one to another. And, and later in the Bible, in, in Galatians, Paul gives a fuller description of what this fruit is and looks like. So let's read from Galatians in chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is, there is no law. And this is what God is producing in us, this, this sublime list of God-given wonders. And we can reel off a list like that really quickly, but each of those aspects of fruitfulness are world-changing. They're absolutely astonishing, godly, fundamental. They'll change a family, an individual. They'll change a school. They'll transform a city if they're given uh, their full weight uh, as God brings that fruitfulness in each one of us. The world would look in wonder and does look in wonder at a church that produces this kind of fruit. And of course, there's all kinds of implications of what that fruit goes on to do um, through those who exhibit it. God is about producing fruit in us. That's what he wants to do. But it does require pruning. He's committed to our personal fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is gonna mean difficulty, some challenges along the way, some cutting and snipping, some pruning, some removing of things that are superfluous, that are in the way, that are preventing fruitfulness from coming. Be confident that it is a father who is the vine dresser, it's him. And listen, choose to trust his wisdom. It's a choice we need to make each day. It helps us to deal with the challenges that we face, the challenges we're facing right now, the challenges of now and of the future. Choose to trust this divine vine dresser. Now, you, you may be watching and thinking, wow, I wish I, I had a father who cared enough and tended to my life like that with such wisdom. If that is you, if you're watching thinking that right now, why don't you just ask him? Ask him, come and be that to me. Come and be my father. Come and be the one who tends to my life. Please come and care for me like I've been hearing this morning. I want to pray for you right now. Father, I thank you so much that you are a good father, that you are a skilled gardener and vine dresser, that you know how to lead us and care for us, that even in the challenging moments of life, even in the most difficult moments, Lord, it's still your hand that is at work. We trust you. We choose to trust you. And I want to ask for anyone for whom all of this is just a beginning, a first step. I ask, would you meet them right now where they are? I pray they'd understand something of what it means to be a part of this vine, to be part of this family. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, of course, it's wine that is produced and we take communion. We we drink wine and we eat bread together, reminding ourselves of who Jesus is. And Jesus did this um, at that Last Supper. And he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. And that tangible thing that we do, even as, as we're doing it now around the city, we're taking bread and we're reminding ourselves of the love of God, of the care that God has taken 
to win us uh, to himself. And so let's eat the bread now. And then, of course, wine, what we've been talking about all morning, the fruit of the vine and the fruit of Jesus himself, Jesus' own blood. And it was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, that they would be removed from us as far as east is from the west. The Bible says he chooses to remember your sin no more. What a glorious truth. I'm so grateful to God for that. And as we drink the right wine, we're reminding ourselves of that truth. Your sin's gone. Where is it? If God says, if God said it's gone, where is it? It's gone. And as we drink it, we're reminding ourselves of that truth. And we, let's be thankful and drink together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came to show us how to live. He came to live the life that we should have lived. And then he died, removing from us the stain of sin. He removed from us the, the punishment that we were due. And he was punished himself, separated from the Father. As we eat the bread and we drink the wine and remember these truths, we pray by your Holy Spirit, we would understand them more deeply and exhibit them more fully in our lives to those around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.